0: The following sermon is by Capitol Community Church, located in Raleigh, North Carolina. Capitol Community Church is a people awakened to a holy God. If you are searching for a new church home, are from out of town looking for a church to worship with, or simply seeking for answers, please join us for worship at 9 o'clock AM every Sunday morning. If you have any questions, Please email us at info at We pray this sermon will help you grow deeper in your walk with Jesus Christ. Well, I'd like to begin with a question this morning. What do you think is the most repeated command in the Bible? The most repeated command in the Bible. Kenny, would probably be biased toward one of those 10 commandments that he's, you know, preaching about on Sunday night, but it's not one of them. The greatest commandment, Deuteronomy 6, 5, love the Lord with all of your heart, with all of your strength, and with all of your soul. But that's not the most repeated. The most repeated command in the Bible is, as Jeff said, fear not, do not be afraid, do not fear, Fear not appears in the scriptures 302 times. Do not fear, 66 times. And do not be afraid, 33 times. We basically have a do not fear or some form of it for every day of the year. Probably because fear is such a big part of our human experience. And it's such a big hindrance in what God is wanting to do in our lives. We have seen a lot of images of fear coming out of Ukraine this week, haven't we? It's it's been hard to watch. There's there's so much happening and people are so afraid. But it's not just in the Ukraine. It's it's everywhere. And here in the US, we've been coming out of a difficult time that's not just been a pandemic of a, a medical pandemic of sickness. It's been a pandemic of fear. One survey found that in Amer- in America or found that America was at an all-time high in terms of the level of fear in the year 2021. And number one on the list was fear of a loved one dying from COVID. And number two was just like it, fear of a loved one getting sick from COVID. So it's been a pandemic of fear. It started in March of 2020 when we saw those first images coming out of Italy of morgues overflowing. And we were wondering, is that going to come here? And soon we became afraid of the people around us. A cough in the grocery store, you you, you saw it, and instead of it eliciting a bless you, people turned their heads and and they scowled or they scurried away. And so we became afraid of others and what they were thinking of us and how we were reacting. Some of us were afraid of the vaccine, a new mRNA technology that had never been used before. Some feared government overreach and having our freedoms curtailed, having our worship services curtailed. Many of us feared that by spending time with our elderly parents, we might be the ones to give them COVID. For many, the lines between reasonable caution and and unreasonable fear became blurred. Meanwhile, many elderly feared that isolation and lack of social contact, contact that they so desperately needed. One writer put it this way, What seemed to be a cocoon day by day became a coffin for the human spirit. So, fear has been a part of our daily lives, rich, poor, believer, non believer. But the Bible commands us as believers over and over again, over 365 times, to not be afraid. Do not fear. Sometimes people ask me if I was ever afraid on the mission field. Well, I have a few stories, and I'm going to share one of those with you. During the summer of 2008, we were showing the Jesus film in the 40 or so villages that surrounded the town that we were living in, in Kosovo. It was an incredibly exciting time. We had six different teams that were going out each night into you know, several villages, showing the film, sharing testimonies, sharing the gospel. And most of the places we went welcomed us warmly, even though this was a Muslim country. But not all of them. On the first night, a mob attacked one of our teams, and they smashed up some equipment. They roughed up one of the teenagers in our church. And then the third night, I was leading a team with three teenagers from our fellowship and another fellowship. And as we were setting up to show the Jesus film in this little village, all of a sudden this car pulled up, and a guy came up yelling at us and saying, hey, this is my village. You can't show the Jesus film here. We're Muslims here. You have no business here. I'm not going to allow it. And he started a you know, confrontation. And <clears throat> I tried to calm him down. I said, you know, we went to the village elder, and we have permission to show the Jesus film here in your village tonight. And if that's an issue, you need, you need to start with him. And so we went back and forth, and he got more and more angry, but when he realized we weren't going anywhere, he looked at me, and he said very strongly, if I were you, I would think twice about showing the Jesus film here in my village tonight. If you do, I'll be back to settle the score. And he turned around, and he got in his green sedan. I sure hoped that would be the last time I saw that car, So I gathered our team, and we prayed together, and then we showed the Jesus film, and one of the teens shared his testimony, and I shared the gospel, and several people hung around afterwards, and we talked to them, and we arranged a couple follow-up visits. Finally, it was getting late, and everyone left, and so we were left in this big field packing up our equipment in the dark, and that's when I noticed the headlights of a car in the distance. As it got closer, I recognized the green sedan, and three guys jumped out, and they quickly approached us, and I prayed, dear God, help us. Coming toward us, they were yelling and threatening us, and just as they got to where we were, a few lights popped on at the edge of the field, and some men came running out of those houses, and then they started to yell, and they said, get out of here. You're not going to touch these guys. And then a lot of yelling ensued until eventually these thugs got back in their car and they sped off. Our protectors were some of the men who had just seen the Jesus film. And they stayed with us until we had packed up and we had headed out. And once back to the base, we, you know, we prayed together and thanked God for His protection. So, was I afraid that night? Well, my heart was racing, and I was praying a lot more than I usually do. You know, the danger was real. I was responsible for three teenagers and was going to have to answer to their parents. Did I have emotions of fear? Yes. Did we back down? No. You know, soon afterwards, I wrote my pastor, Charlie Long. Some of you may know him. He was pastoring in Raleigh at the time and kind of explained. And I was processing, you know, this experience. And he wrote me back a short note and he ended it by saying, David, you need to read Isaiah chapter 8, verses 11 through <clears> 13. Now, Charlie, he wasn't just writing from the safety of his study. He was writing from 16 years' experience as a missionary in Vietnam, most of that during the height of the Vietnam War. He sent his family out of the country, but he stayed in Vietnam right through it and found himself in the middle of firefights more than once. And so he's the one who's, who's writing me, and he's saying, you know, you need to read Isaiah chapter 8, verses 11 through 13. It was a passage I wasn't familiar with. Maybe you're not too familiar with this passage. Isaiah 8 is a, is a bit obscure in many ways. But I'd like us to turn there this morning and take a look at these remarkable verses and their context. So turn with me to Isaiah chapter 8, verses 11 through 13. It says, "'For the Lord spoke thus to me "'with his strong hand upon me "'and warned me not to walk "'in the way of this people.'" saying, Do not call conspiracy all that this people calls conspiracy, and do not fear what they fear, nor be in dread. But the Lord of hosts, Him you shall honor as holy. Let Him be your fear. Let Him be your dread. So, let's look at these verses together. What do we have here? We have these two contrasting commands, right? And we might call them the do's and the don'ts of fear. Verse 12 gives us the don'ts. Do not call conspiracy, what they call conspiracy. Do not fear and do not be in dread. And then verse 13 gives us the do's. Honor the Lord, fear him, and let him be your dread. And the stark contrast in these verses immediately shows us that as believers, one thing that should set us apart from the world is in the things that we fear and the things that we don't fear. We might blend in with those around us in so many ways, but this is not an area that we should blend in in the things that we fear. So our goal this morning is to look at these verses and to understand them and to apply them in our lives. And in order to do so, I believe we need to answer two very important questions. The first is, what is it that people fear? And the second is, What does it really mean to fear the lord so let's begin with the context you know the background of this passage is a time of spiritual decline and political intrigue in the southern kingdom of judah might be similar to what's going on in the u.s biblical history shows that god's judgment on a nation usually starts by giving them incapable leaders and this is certainly what is happening in the case of Judah. The people are circulating conspiracy theories all over the place, one of which is an impending invasion from the kings in Syria and Samaria. So the people are afraid. They're expecting this you know, coming invasion, much like the people of Ukraine have been for the last few months. And so there's fear. And in response, the leaders of Judah, like Ukraine, have been trying to rally some allies to to have a protector from this invasion. And so the leaders have formed an alliance with the king of Assyria. But in his prophecy, you can can see it in verse 7, Isaiah warns the people not to make this alliance with Assyria. In fact, he says, Assyria is going to be the one who in fact attacks you. Look at verse 7. This is... Isaiah's prophecy, Therefore, behold, the Lord is bringing up against them the waters of the river, mighty and many, the king of Assyria, and all his glory. And it will rise over all its channels and go over all its banks, and it will sweep on into Judah. It will overflow and pass on, reaching even to the neck, and its outspread wings will fill the breadth of your land, O Emmanuel. So the leaders of Judah have just made a pact with Assyria to protect them, and now Isaiah is saying... That was a big mistake. Assyria is going to be the one to attack you. And so this prophecy, as it went out among the people, was not well received. And in fact, Isaiah and his band of followers were probably accused of, you know, of starting a conspiracy themselves. So it's in this context that Isaiah says, do not call conspiracy all that this people calls conspiracy. You know, I think that's a good word for us today. Conspiracy theories have been on the rise, haven't they? You hear them everywhere. It's like they've just, especially in the last couple of years, they've just, you know, exploded on the scene, both sides of the political spectrum. As missionaries in Albania, we often found ourselves as the object of conspiracy theories. The most popular one is that we were, of course, CIA agents. I mean, it sounds funny, but I was there for 25 years, and you would not believe how many times it came up over and over again. And it did not matter what I said or what I do, what I did. There was a small portion of the population that believed for sure that we were there as spies. Unfortunately, that mistrust caused them to keep an arm's distance from us. And I think that's part of why Isaiah warns the people to be cautious about conspiracy theories. Sometimes they're true, right? But the problem with them is that they they prey on our fears, and they stoke our fears, and they just breed mistrust. And so Isaiah says, let's, let's not call conspiracy everything This people calls conspiracy. Instead, he gives them the word of the Lord. And that's, I think, the word for us, is that we need to keep our focus on what God says about our situation and our circumstances instead of the people around us. And that really brings to the heart of this first question, which is what is it that people fear? If we're not to look like the world in the things that we fear, you know, what is it that they fear? And that's there can this is could be a very long list, the things that people fear. It's probably not something we're going to exhaust today. But uh, to cover the basics, I would like us to take a quick look at a well-known Old Testament figure. His name is King Saul, the first king of Israel. You're probably familiar with this story. It's a tragic one. It begins with this young king making a, a pretty strong start and ends with that same man, just terrified turning to sorcery, unable to even get up and, and, and eat, and eventually falling on his own sword. I think a brief look at his life story reveals that his downfall was the result of the fears that he let breed in his heart and then the actions that he allowed to proceed from those fears. You know, the nation of Israel first meets Saul, you know, as he's coming out from hiding in the luggage, right? You remember the story. Samuel's anointing the first king, and Saul's the guy. And when they cast lots, and it comes down to Saul, they can't find him. He's in the luggage, and they can't find him. And finally, through prophecy, you know, Samuel says, he's in the luggage, and they go, and they bring him forth. And so they bring out this, you know, terrified guy. And once he stands up, he's head and shoulders taller than everybody else in the crowd. What was he so afraid of? Was he just shy? You know, it's interesting because later on in 1 Samuel, the prophet refers, I believe he's referring back to this very incident when he says to Saul in 1 Samuel 15, 17, he says, though you were once little in your own eyes, are you not the head of the tribes of Israel? The Lord anointed you king over Israel. Isn't that ironic that this man Saul who was taller than everyone else in the crowd saw himself as little in his own eyes? It wasn't just shyness. He was was little in his eyes compared to the people around him. He had a fear of the expectations of people. He had a fear that he would not measure up. From Saul's perspective people and their expectations were big and he was small the next instance of Saul being sidelined by his fears in 1st Samuel 13 when he offers an unlawful sacrifice you might know the story he's going to war against the Philistines he's waiting on the prophet Samuel to come and offer the sacrifice that they would offer before a battle but Samuel doesn't show up he's not on time and so Saul eventually offers the sacrifice by himself. Saul's not a priest. He's not you know, lawful to offer a sacrifice, but he does it. Of course, as soon as he's finished, Samuel shows up, confronts him, and Samuel says in 1 Samuel 13, 11, and 12, what have you done? And Saul gives a very reasonable answer. He says, first of all, when I saw the people were scattering, this is verse 11 and 1 Samuel 13, when I saw the people were scattering from me, and that you did not come within the pointed." time and that the Philistines had mustered in Michmash, I said, now the Philistines will come down against me at Gilgal and I have not sought the favor of the Lord. So I forced myself and I offered the burnt offering. So what was Saul afraid of? He was afraid of his enemies. He was afraid of this, you know, was this just an irrational fear? No. Verse 5 in that same chapter says, It was 30,000 chariots, 6,000 horsemen, and troops like the sand of the seashore who were coming against him. The problem was not that Saul was concerned about a credible threat. The problem is that his fear led him to disobedience to God. The root problem was that from Saul's perspective, he was small, and his enemies were big. And as a result, from his perspective, his God was small, and his enemies were big. The next instance is a couple chapters later, in 1 Samuel 15. And in this instance, God has commanded Saul to to judge, or actually God has said, I'm judging the people of Amalekite, and I want you to destroy them, and I want you to destroy their enemies, cattle and their belongings i don't want you to leave anything and as saul begins this battle it this this command to destroy the booty the spoil did not go over well with his soldiers and 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 so he gets some pushback and eventually saul caves in and his soldiers take the spoil and when samuel confronts him Saul tries to cover it up by saying that his soldiers had kept these things because they were planning to offer them as a sacrifice to God. And of course, that didn't fly. In Samuel, in 1 Samuel 15, 22 and 23, Samuel says, has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? And so he goes on to tell Saul that God has rejected him as king because of his disobedience. So we see again and again in Saul's life, this, this, there's some sort of fear. And not only the emotion of fear, but a fear that you know, got inside and led to disobedience to God's word. But the real problem was a problem of perspective. Again and again, Saul has a fear because people are bigger than God or his enemy is bigger than God, or his problem is bigger than God. We could go on. Later, Saul spent 13 years pursuing David, and it was out of a fear of, of betrayal or out of a fear of him being supplanted as king. And then in the very end, he, when he turns to the sorcerer, he's, he's, there's a battle coming up, and he's afraid of dying, and he's turning to a sorcerer to find out If he's going to survive the battle, he's afraid of death. Saul's life is a portrait of fear, fear of not measuring up, fear of external threats and enemies, fear of others' opinions, fear of betrayal, and fear of death. These are just a few of the fears that he faced. And of course, they're fears that all people face. But God calls us, through the prophet Isaiah, to a life that is different than Saul. He calls us, first of all, to not be afraid. Do not call conspiracy all that this people calls conspiracy. And do not fear what they fear, nor be in dread. So that's the don'ts of fear. And now let us turn to verse 13 and look at some of the do's. In verse 13 it says, But the Lord of hosts, him you shall honor as holy. Let him be your fear, and let him be your dread. So this verse clearly instructs us that instead of fearing what people fear, what are we to fear? We are to fear the Lord. And that brings us to a very important question. Just what exactly does it mean to fear the Lord? This is a difficult topic for many of us. Are we actually to be in dread of God in our, in our day-to-day relationship with God? What does it mean to fear the Lord? You know, there's so many verses, Proverbs, the beginning of wisdom is the fear of God. What does this mean? You know, I think often the best explanation for a term or a concept in the scriptures is found in the context of that scripture. And I think that's exactly the case here. I want you to look again at verse 13. It says, But the Lord of hosts, him you shall honor as holy. Let him be your fear, and let him be your dread. It's right at the beginning of the verse. I think the great definition of fearing the Lord is right there. It says, but the Lord of hosts, him you shall honor as holy. Our God is the Lord of hosts. He's the supreme being. He holds all the cards. We we sang about it this morning. We started the service singing, holy, 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 perfect, and purity, love, and power. The beginning of fearing God is simply understanding, as best we can, who He is, and all of His majesty, and all of His holiness. You know, you've heard a lot at Capital Community Church recently about the need to recover our sense of the holiness of God. And that's right on. Because fearing God is honoring Him in His rightful place and honoring His holiness. Acknowledging who He is and living our lives in light of His holiness. We find this repeated in the New Testament. The apostle Peter, he uses almost the same language in 1 Peter 3.15, he says, But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy. I believe that's how we fear the Lord. I think that's how God wants us to actively fear the Lord is by in our hearts honoring Christ, honoring the Father as holy. I think there's another reason for the contrasting nature of the commands that we see in this passage in Isaiah. He says, don't fear this, but instead fear that. I think that's because the best antidote to a fear is a bigger fear. And that's what King Saul needed. He had these credible, real threats. The problem is that he didn't fear God. God wasn't bigger than these other threats. He was small in his own eyes, and people were big. He was, his God was small, and the Philistine armies were big. God's word was small, and the opinions of people were big. In his book, When People Are Big and God Is Small... Edward Welch says, the most radical treatment for the fear of man is the fear of the Lord. God must be bigger to you than people are. And that's why dictatorial regimes have never been able to tolerate Christians or believers because they know that they fear God more than they do the dictator. That's why Nebuchadnezzar threw Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace. That's why he threw Daniel in the lion's dead. It's because they feared God more than they feared him. There's a story about a Polish priest during World War II who was summoned to go in before Hitler. And this, this priest was trying to decide what to wear. He, he was going back and forth. Should he wear his priestly attire as a you know, with his white collar and and going before Hitler? Or should he just wear a normal suit? And in the end, he decided to wear the normal suit. And as soon as he walked in the room, Hitler says, where's your collar? We're going to get along just fine. He knew that this man feared him more than he feared God. I believe Jesus had the same passage that we're talking about in it. Isaiah 8, I think he had it in mind, in Matthew 10, verse 28, when he said, And do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both the soul and body in hell. God is the Lord of hosts. He's the one that holds your and my fate in his hands. And when we really understand that and acknowledge that, the fate of our earthly body really becomes a little consequence. As believers, we should fear God even more because as we grow in our faith and our understanding of God, we realize more and more just how holy He is and just how sinful we are. And that's the message of Isaiah 8. That's the do's and don'ts of fear. Do not call conspiracy all that this people call conspiracy. And do not fear what they fear, nor be in dread. But the Lord of hosts, him you shall honor as holy. Let him be your fear. Let him be your dread. You know, I hope these powerful verses are sinking in this morning. But we need to figure out also how to apply them in our lives. And I think we can begin by praying for the people of Ukraine. So many are living in fear right now. Let's pray for God's intervention, let's pray for his protection. For his comfort. But most of all, let's pray that people will be awakened to the reality of the fleeting nature of life and turn to God. And let's pray for those churches. You know, Kenny was talking about churches that were meeting in Kiev today. We have some friends that were missionaries in Ukraine and started some local fellowships. Let's pray for those churches and those people because the opportunity to share with people is great. You know, we went through two wars during our time in Albania and Kosovo. In 1997, there was a brief civil war in Albania that came to the area that we were at, and it forced us to evacuate. For two months, we went to the next country over and waited as this thing took place. Do you know that our little church in this little town grew more during those two months and the six months afterwards than any other time in the life of that church right up to now. As that conflict spilled into that town, man, the believers, we, we had to go. <clears throat> we were a liability to them, but the believers stepped up and they continued the services. Different men were preaching. They were inviting visitors by the dozens, they started to do some some um, distribution of food and take care of people, and it was an incredible time. Some of them were sleeping in the church just to protect it at night, and the church grew during that time. Then a couple of years later, in 1999, we were <clears throat> still in Albania, but the war erupted in Kosovo. And as soon as it were, was over, we brought a team of missionaries and some believers from our church there in Albania. And, and we went to this town of Ferizai in Kosovo and we rented the local cinema. Now, there was, there was, some of the houses were still smoking at that time as we came into this town and we rented this cinema that had never had an Albanian film shown in it. And we showed the Jesus film two nights back to back. And people came. The place was packed, 300 people, and then we shut the doors, and then people were banging on the doors as we showed the Jesus film because they wanted in. A few young people accepted Christ during those two nights. And we eventually, about two years later, moved to that town, and those young people were the beginnings of the church there in Eye. War is a terrible thing. It's terrifying. It's so much evil is unleashed when there's a war. It turns people's lives upside down. We don't wish war on anyone. But I've seen from experience that it's also a time when God works in people's hearts. And I believe that's what we should be praying for Ukraine. That this time of fear and loss would be a time that God would just come through and Give people the answer. Give people the hope that they need. But it's not just Ukraine. It's also you and me. What are you afraid of this morning? What are your fears this week? What are you facing? What kind of peer pressure? What kind of people are you dealing with? What problems? Health otherwise. Are those problems so big that God starts to get small in comparison Or is your God bigger than your problems? What's your perspective this morning? Isaiah teaches us that if we fear the Lord, if we honor the Lord of hosts as holy, then our problems and those people will shrink down to their proper size. And finally, if you don't know Christ this morning, if you haven't began a relationship with Christ and accepted his death on the cross for your sins. That's the most important step you could make toward overcoming fear this morning. You know, the scriptures call Jesus the Prince of Peace. And in one of the most important interactions he had with his disciples, right before his crucifixion, he turned to his disciples and what did he say? He said, peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. So do not let your hearts be troubled. And do not be afraid. I think it's so fascinating that just as Isaiah emphasized back in chapter 8 that our fears are not to be like the fears of the world, Jesus emphasizes that our peace is not like the peace that the world gives. What kind of peace does this world give? We, we do find peace, but the world's peace is by we encounter our enemies, we counter our enemies with weapons or alliances we counter our fear of failure, not measuring up with self-esteem and hard work. We counter our fears of the future by storing up resources and riches, and these things work for a while, but ultimately, these strategies fail. Jesus gives us a different type of peace. He gives us a peace that the world doesn't give. It's something that defies human reason. It's a calm in the midst of the storm. It's the boldness to share one's faith in the face of criticism. It's that glowing face on, the, on Stephen as he's being stoned to death. Ultimately, it's knowing deep down beyond any doubt that Romans 8.28 is true. That all things are going to work together for good for those who love the Lord and are called according to his purpose. Our our fear is not like their fear, and our peace is not like their peace. So if you don't know Christ personally this morning, I invite you to put your faith in him and discover what it means to have the peace of Christ and to live with a proper fear of God. Let's pray together. Lord of hosts, almighty God, holy of holies. I pray that you would help me and my brothers and sisters here this morning to be people that do not fear the things of this world, but instead fear you by daily honoring you in our hearts as holy. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. For more sermons, information, and events, check out our website at CapitalCommunityChurch.com.